Hey there, it's Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Before he took to the streets in the climate march, Sir Richard Branson sat down with me for a Washington Post Live event to discuss climate change, space travel, the airline industry, and his kiteboarding contest with his best bud, Barack Obama. But before any of that, the British billionaire took issue with my tie. And you can hear what went down right now. Look at all these people, Sir Richard. <laughs> you are in town to march in the climate march tomorrow. Before we talk about that. Yeah. You're, <laughs> you're, you're, anytime I go on stage, um, I, I, I normally God. bring a pair. Your assistant actually gave me this, to, saying that your, your tie should be cut off. But he's got a very nice, he's got a very, <laughs> uh, <laughs> got a very nice tie. So uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spare you. Oh. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. You got it? All right. I can't get that one. Okay. <laughs> well, on behalf of my tie drawer, um, I thank you, but Hermes is probably upset because they just lost out on getting a new tie. Um, well, well, with that, you can. <laughs> so you're in town. Yes, you're right. in town for the climate march tomorrow. Yeah. You know, in this in in this town and in the country, um, there are a lot of climate change skeptics. <laughs> I mean, where do you think that comes from, and why don't you think, even though what is it, 99% of the climate scientists say that you know there is human cause of this, that the information and the science doesn't go through? Well, it, it seems to be unique to America, the, the climate skeptic. <laughs> um, as, as America's you know, got quite a few things unique at, about it at the moment, but climate change is one of, one of those things. And what, since now you have the Republicans running America, what we as business leaders are trying to do is to get the message across to those skeptics that even if you are a skeptic, um, it makes sense for America and the rest of the world to be powered by clean energy. I mean, I think even the most, the biggest climate skeptic must like to breathe, you know, their children to breathe clean air. So if we can power the world with the sun and by wind and by, you know, wonderful innovations and batteries, we're going to create hundreds of thousands, millions of jobs. We're going to have clean air and we'll have a fuel price, um, energy price globally, uh, which is about half what the current energy price is. And it'll be like that forever. So whereas if we don't invest in clean energy and get out there and create those millions of jobs, uh, fuel prices could be back up at $150 a barrel again. Uh, and in my opinion, we'll, we'll be polluting and damaging the, the world we live in as well. But can any of those goals that you, you just outlined be achieved if the United States is not an active partner in all of that? I mean, you're a big supporter of COP21. But, I mean, who knows where, where the United States government is right now and whether it's in or it's out. But if the United States officially gets out of the Paris Agreement, can any of these goals be reached? Well, the United States will be left way behind if it doesn't you know, keep the momentum going. And, I mean, China is, has got a clean energy revolution going on. I mean, millions of jobs have been created in, 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 in clean energy. Europe's got a clean energy revolution going on. South America's got a clean energy revolution going on. Unfortunately, in America, 
95% um, of business leaders believe in climate change and they want to do something about it. Uh, most of the oil companies in America are investing heavily in technology that will, you know, will be the technology of the future when uh, the demand for oil disappears. So it's not going to be as easy, obviously, if you've got an administration that puts barriers up rather than encouraging it. You know, but I think you know, we just got to, we've got to make it happen and we've got, to, you know, we've got to get to that carbon neutrality by 2050. One interesting thing that I learned yesterday was, you know, James Hansen um, came up with this brilliant idea um, a few years ago, and that was put a, put a tax on, uh, on carbon, but give 100% of that tax back to people in their wage packets, uh, and equally, right, right across the board. And there's a group of Republicans, George Schultz and others, who've taken up that idea and are pushing the White House right now to accept it. And if you can create a differential between carbon and clean energy, then it just gives the clean energy uh, revolution, I think, a chance to move even quicker and, and even more jobs to be created. Well, what you just said actually works perfectly with this uh, question that just chimed in from Twitter, and that is when it comes to energy alternatives, do you think there's a place for nuclear energy? I think that I think there could be a place if, if you think that politically could ever ever get through. I think that um, it's unlikely that politically it, would, it will ever get through. And therefore, I think there's enough. I mean, the, the price of solar has come down so dramatically. The price of wind is coming down so dramatically. The price of batteries are coming down dramatically. And new innovations, I mean, the, you know, we're working with, um, with Bill Gates and on a, on a breakthrough energy coalition looking at new innovations. And, you know, there are, there are so many exciting new innovations coming through. So I think some of these things have a better chance, I think, than nuclear, although nuclear arguably mm. needs to be part of the equation. So um, you have something called the, the Virgin Earth Challenge, and you started this in 2007, and it's a prize to a company. I, I want you to t talk about it because the point of this challenge is to come up with sustainable, scalable ways of removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. How many winners have you had? And if you could talk about one or some of the ideas that have come forward, have they gone to scale? So the prize was, I mean, prizes can, uh, you know, longitude, latitude was only discovered because of a prize. I mean, they're, 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 you know, prizes, I mean, the reason we're, one of the reasons we're going to space is because of the X Prize and Spaceship One. So um, prizes can have a fantastic catalyzing effect. We set up the Virgin Earth Prize, a $25 million prize, to see if anybody could come up with a way of extracting carbon out of the Earth's atmosphere. And we wanted them to be able to extract enough carbon that would you know, basically solve, solve the problem. So it was, a, you know, it was a big task, but to, just to get people thinking. Mm -hmm. And you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have put their mind to it. We've got, we've got sort of 10, 10 organizations that we've been watching closely. No, nobody's come up with the, the winning formula yet. It took, took 75 years for, for the Longitude Prize to be won. Hopefully, it'll take a lot, lot less. But in the meantime, th this prize is there in case everything else fails. And in the meantime, I think we just got to get on and do the nuts, the nuts and bolts of getting clean energy out there. There are many new technologies that um, are being developed. You know, we built a plane a few years ago called the Virgin Atlantic Global Flyer, 100% out of carbon fiber, to show Boeing and Airbus that carbon fiber should be part of the mix for airplanes. And when it successfully flew nonstop around the world with 
uh, Steve Fawcett piloting it. Um, Airbus came you know, to where we built it, and as a result, I think, I mean, partly as a result of that and other things, you know, you've got um, the 787, you've got the A350 planes, which are 50, 60% carbon fiber. And that means we're saving, you know, 20% fuel burn on them. We're now working with Manchester University and others on graphene. Graphene is um, maybe nine times lighter than carbon fiber. It's maybe nine times stronger, very roughly, than carbon fiber. You can't use it quite in quite the same way as carbon fiber um, because it's incredibly thin. So, but you can mix it in uh, into the mix, and so future planes, hopefully, you know, will then be another uh, big step forward and much lighter. So you've mentioned space, you've mentioned airlines, two subjects that I want to get to. But before I do that, I want to ask you about the assertion that we heard over and over and over again here in this country that coal is coming back. That we're going to bring the coal jo bring the coal jobs back. You firmly believe um, that renewable energy will will win the day. Well, I, I mean, I can't think of anything more stupid than to talk about bringing coal back. I mean, they, they, um, um, oh, actually, there are some things that are even more stupid. But anyway, um, but but I mean, the the I mean, first of all, digging coal is is a pretty horrible job. It kills a lot of people that um, you know work in coal mines. Most countries have got rid of. That, you know, rid of that now. And those, the people who were digging coal in coal mines are now putting solar panels on people's roofs, um, uh, uh, you know, working on you know, creating windmills. And uh, you know, a whole new revolution of new jobs be, is, is being created. America should be setting an example to other countries that are still reliant on coal you know, to show that you don't have to be reliant on coal anymore. Fortunately, China is, you know, that was building a new coal power, power station every week are now moving rapidly towards uh, clean energy. And, and you know, obviously, they, they have you know, dirty energy in their face. I mean, you know, the coal, you, mm -hmm. you go into, uh, into Beijing and other places, um, you, know, you can hardly see. Um, so they have another incentive as well. Would you say that China's leading the renewable energy revolution? Yeah. Or is that I mean, too? Oh, no, no. China is definitely leading, leading the clean energy revolution today. I mean, they've overtaken, they've already, I would say, overtaken America. And, and the reason that, you know, we are, you know, the clean energy revolution is really taking off now is the price they've managed to drive solar panels down. Um, I think on some of the more technical things like battery power, America is still ahead and Europe. As far as just replacing dirty energy, China, I would say, is moving the quickest. So is the reason why you're getting into space travel is because you're trying to <laughs> ensure that we have a way and some place to go before <laughs> Earth turns into a galactic raisin? Generally speaking, the Earth is a pretty, a pretty good place to be. And we've got to make sure that we, we keep it a, a, a good place to be and make it an even better place to be. I mean, if you look at the you know, the last six decades, every decade um, has got better and better and better. You wouldn't believe it if you saw 24-hour news, but, you know, but um, things have got better. So I don't think we um, need to all go and live on the moon um, or Mars. <laughs> um, and they're not very hospitable places. But I do think that space can, uh, can play, and already has played, a, a massive positive role for back, back here on Earth. So, um, I mean, we're involved in putting, you know, a big array of satellites around the Earth, um, which will continue to make a big difference to, I mean, there's still four and a half billion people who don't have internet or Wi-Fi access. 
you know, they are at a big disadvantage to those of us who do. And, and a lot of those people don't even have the access to telephones as well. Uh, education that you get through in the internet and, and other things. And I think that you know, people should, should, if they want, be able to go to space and you know, become astronauts and you know, marvel back at the wonderful world we live. So in order, I think you call it virgin galactic astronauts. So could I right now say to you, Hey, Richard, I want to I want to be one of your astronauts. What do how does that even work? How does that happen? Well, you have to work hard and make a bit of money. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of money. How, and, and how much are we talking? No, I mean, it, it, um, the initial the, initially it's expensive. I mean, it's about two hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. About but, the same price as a certain club membership I heard. Um, but um, so two hundred two hundred fifty thousand. Uh, what club are we talking? About? I, I have, <laughs> you got you got to expensive clubs. Um, they, they, I've um, never been. I've only seen pictures. <laughs> anyway, it has to start somewhere. I mean, like the aviation travel was the equivalent price in the nineteen twenties. You know, and it will come down. You know, quite, quite a lot over the year, in the years to come. And I think through through space travel, we'll get you know we're going to get point to point travel at much quicker speeds. Um, we, we're going to get you know almost completely environmentally uh, friendly travel. Um, there's you know there's a, a whole lot of breakthroughs I think that which will take place. So when I believe a test flight is going to happen uh, this year, and then is the hope 2018 to have like a full on full fledged um, the first Virgin Galactic astronauts to go up. I, I've, um, spend a I've, time I've made in the space. mistake of uh, giving dates before and being wrong. Um, uh, but uh, if you say so, that sounds. That, <laughs> that, that, that sound, it's that's, all about that, being, that hopeful. <laughs> being hopeful. Being uh, hopeful. No, I mean it, it, it's it's been tough. I mean space uh, space is is tough, and I think all all of us who've been in it have found it tougher than we thought. So um, let's talk about uh, another kind of travel that is probably as strenuous, but a little closer to Earth, and that's airline travel. Um, I can't imagine a situation happening on a Virgin flight that happened on a certain United flight. Um, but if it had happened on a Virgin flight, what would you have done? I think it wouldn't have happened on a Virgin, uh, a virgin flight. I mean, I, you know, I think it, it's um, um, they, they, um, I think that I mean that the whole reason that Virgin set up 33 years ago with Virgin Atlantic was because airline travel was pretty dire and the way that people were treated was not great. Um, so we set up Virgin Atlantic just with you know one secondhand 747, to, you know, taking on. TWA and Pan Am and Air Florida and People's Express and um, and oh, there's a name I haven't heard and, and, in a long well, time. <laughs> I mentioned those those four because these were these were between them had had something like 800 planes and um, and we had one plane and all of those airlines have disappeared and and the reason they disappeared was they didn't look after the people who travelled on them um, and they got replaced by uh, United and American and others and and. Those airlines have been bust, you know, uh, I mean, three, three or four times. Mm -hmm. And in America, you have something called Chapter 11, where, you know, which is great. You just, you know, if, you, if your management mess up, they just, um, uh, they, they just um, get rid of all their creditors and they start all over again. Uh, uh, in, 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 in Britain, you it's know, like an inside joke. <laughs> Everyone's sort of giggling. In Britain, if we mess up. You know, we're like we're like a tree. If a tree dies, we're dead. You know, we, and, and, and we we leave room for new young saplings to to, to grow. 
And um, so, you know, we have to look after our passengers. Um, uh, we can't afford to go into Chapter 11. We can't afford to, you know, to go bankrupt. And, you know, we just have to be, you know, we have to be great. And, and it's a lot more fun running an airline that um, has people who smile and are friendly to their passengers and, mm -hmm. and the, rather than the reverse. So you still have Virgin Atlantic, but, you know, it broke my heart to read that you sold Virgin America to Alaska. I didn't sell Virgin. Okay, Virgin America <laughs> was sold to Alaska Airlines. It broke my heart too. <laughs> so, you know, you have this rather strange situation in America that, um, that British people, we can own banks in America, we can uh, own spaceship companies in America, we can uh, own hospitals in America, we can own you know, lots of things, but we're not allowed to own America, uh, an airline. And this has been a really clever move by the big airlines to try to protect their patch, and they've mm. managed to lobby and fight and keep, the, keep a situation where um, only people who with American passports can own American Airlines. And, um, and so when we set up Virgin America, we had to bring in venture capital organizations to own it, um, and we were a minority shareholder. And you know, sadly, they, you know, they, I mean, they had, they had an offer they couldn't refuse, and, and, mm. and they sold it. Do you think there will come a time when there will be another airline like Virgin America? Could there, could that? <laughs> I, 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 look, I, it, would, it would be too sad to see, to, it's too sad for there not to be, that's all I can say at this stage. <laughs> I'm so, I don't have a whole lot of time to like go dive in, dive they, in on that because yeah, you, they, have a, you have a lot of interests and a lot of passions and I'm, I'm sort of hard pressed to find an issue that you not only care about but that you've, you haven't also written about and have campaigned for. One of those is, is criminal justice reform and through, from that is concern about the war on drugs, concerned about the death penalty. Why? Of all the things that you have to do, and all of the companies that you're running, and all of the issues that you are passionate about, what is it about criminal justice that um, pulls you in? Well, I suppose, I mean, I've, I've been, 50, I started in business when I was 15, and I've been, so I've been 50, 50 years of traveling the world and seeing, uh, you know, learning about what's going on in the world and seeing a lot of things that, uh, you know, a lot of things that are wrong in the world that I feel um, need to be fixed. One of the things that took place 40 odd years ago was the infamous war on drugs. And that war has done un untold damage um, on a global basis because the war started in America, but America's imposed their will on, on the rest of the world. And it's resulted in you know, hundreds of thousands of people being incarcerated in America, um, main, mainly minority groups. Um, it's resulted in people who have drug problems not being able to come and get help. And so, um, you know, so with this particular problem, we, we, we got involved with something called the Global Drug Commission, which was, you know, which is 15 ex-presidents, Kofi Annan and, my, and myself, to try to get governments to uh, change their approach and treat drugs as a health problem, not a criminal problem, and to experiment with new approaches. I mean, we've, we've wel welcomed the states in America that have legalized. We've welcomed the states that have set up medical marijuana centers. And you know, we pray that uh, this new administration does not uh, interfere and just lets this experiment continue because the experiment is working. It's not resulting in thousands more people taking drugs. And in fact, with the medical marijuana centers, it's actually helping 
a lot of people who are benefiting from them. If you, well, first, have you had any kind, you personally had any kind of contact with the new administration, anyone in the new administration? I'm not sure I'm the best person to talk to them because I spoke out quite strongly against the administration before it, um, before it came into power, but I will send other people in to talk to them about this issue. <laughs> well, if you, could if you could talk to anyone in the administration on, on this issue, particularly uh, the war on drugs and what you said about, about marijuana, what message would you want to leave? Want well, to I mean, I, I, I would just, I would say that, uh, that they need to look, they need to do what the, the, the Global Drug Commission did. They need to look at examples closely about, I mean, look at Portugal. They, they had a massive heroin problem at the turn of the century. And the president of Portugal went on television, said, nobody's ever going to go to prison ever again for taking drugs. We're going to help, we're going to sit down and help you um, with, um, with heroin. We're going to have places you can come to get your heroin fix. We're going to give you clean needles. We're going to make sure you don't overdose. We're going to make sure you don't you know, catch hepatitis C or HIV. And when you're ready, we're going to get, you know, put you in, help you get into a clinic and, and wean you off. And you know, within a very short period of time, the heroin problem had disappeared from Portugal. America's now got a big heroin problem. That, that is the way to deal with it, not to lead these people in, in, in this sort of shady underworld, having to go and um, break and enter into people's homes to get their fix. You know, when, you know people, who, people who are addicted to heroin, generally speaking, want to get off it. They want, to be, they want help, uh, and you, ca you can't leave them to the underworld. So according to my reporting, President Obama, when he was president, was reading an article on criminal justice reform. Um, and you were mentioned in this article, and he was so impressed, he turned to an aide and said, he's doing some interesting things, I'd like to meet him. You eventually went to lunch at the White House with, with President Obama. You found a kindred spirit in him, didn't you? Yes, I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I suspect we agree on a lot of things, and we had, you know, I mean, that was the first time of really getting to know each other well. You know, whether it was death penalty reform or climate change or, you know, pretty well or, or, all, all areas, I would say that we, we were on the same page. We were on the same page. And it was a, it was a pri privilege um, spending time with him. I, I, I went that night to, I'll tell, tell a story against myself. I went that night to um, his birthday party at the White House and I was walking in with a friend and there was a picture of him with this lovely little girl. Um, uh, you know, sitting, sitting uh, next to him, and I, I said to my friend, is that his daughter? And she said, Richard, his daughter's black. <laughs> well, whose daughter was it? <laughs> no idea. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, um, Obama and his wife Michelle, they, they spent some time with you at your home on Necker Island in the British Virgin Islands, a beautiful part of the world. You live there every morning from my, from, from my research. You get up every morning around five o'clock, you do emails, you kite surf every day. Now here's the thing, you do that every day and here, comes, <laughs> here come the Obamas and you put out this minute video of the two of you in a kite surfing contest and he beat you. <laughs> the man was the leader of the free world for eight years, had no time really for any kind of real exercise, and yet he, he rolls up on your island and, 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 and beats you. Did you expect him to beat you? It was humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, well, 
Yeah, my only defense was I, I, I was learning to do something called foil boarding against him learning to kite. So foil boarding is very strange. You, you, you're, you're going along on a board, and the board then comes out three foot out of the water, and generally you just end up um, <laughs> falling. And I fell a lot. And it looks like it hurts. Consumed, consumed a lot of the water. Um, but we had a lot of fun. And, um, and, um, uh, and, uh, and I'm such a gracious loser. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. No, he was, he's, he's an extraordinary fit man. And he, he had the big, biggest grin on his face for 10 days. And, um, and yeah, he sure did. That picture like, ricocheted <laughs> around the United States. He looked like, no. you know, that ex-boyfriend who looks happier and healthier after he left you. <laughs> like, thank, thanks a lot. But, I think I think that um, yeah I mean look there's nothing he there's nothing you know it, 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 when when you step down from being prime minister or president of a country the best way of doing it is to you know you've done your bit and then you have to hand the keys over for a year or so and yeah not to, you know do your best not to interfere and it's it must be very difficult but um, I, I'm sure that 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 sensible advice mm -hmm. and and it seems to be the way he's behaving. So one thing I found very surprising. Um, to read and tell me if I've read something that's not true and that is you are very very shy you're naturally shy you're an introvert which runs completely counter to everything that I've seen brash <laughs> confident extrovert hard charging how do you how do you do that how do you put the shyness aside to be a very public showman well, my mum tried to uh, teach me how to get over my shyness. She'd you know, shove us on the stage and tell us that shyness was a self selfish thing and you're thinking of yourself <laughs> and you've got to you know, get out there and think about other people. And, 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 and so I think, I think largely overcome it over the years. If I'm, if I'm talking about subjects that I know about and that maybe that's why I love to learn about every, everything that's going on in the world, I find it, it relatively easy. Um, and I'm mean, talking about things you don't know about and having to bullshit about things you don't know about, I find really tough. But, <laughs> um, but, um, but if, if I've got a basic knowledge of it, I can overcome the shyness, I think. So 10 years ago, you were asked, you know, what do you want your legacy to be? And you told the interviewer, uh, look, my mother lived till she was 101. I've got, a, I've got a lot of time, so it's too early for that question. That was 10 years ago. <laughs> Are you in legacy mode yet? Well, my mum's still alive. And <laughs> so that makes her how old now? Cause no, she was, she, uh, yeah, she's, she's 93 now. So. Oh, 93. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, your grandmother, your grandmother, my, gra my grandmother, 101. Right. Yeah. But your, your mother's 93. Yeah. Some good genes. She, you know, we've, we've, we're fortunate on, with the genes. So, um, no, look, I'm trying not to think about legacy no. yet. <laughs> um, but uh, now I just, uh, look, I love life. I love, I, I, I live life to its full every day. Pinch myself because it, it's just such such a fascinating journey, and I think you know we're, if you get get into a position where you can make a difference, then you don't want to waste that position. So you know we, we just, I suppose I spend quite a lot of my time on uh, issues. Um, I mean, if I go back in the last two times I've marched, I've only marched twice in my life so far. I've marched um, against the Vietnamese War when I was a teenager, shouting LBJ, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? And I think the Vietnamese marches by young people really helped bring an end to the, you know, that very unjust um, war. 
and marched against the Iraq War, and um, uh, and sadly, you know, despite massive marches, but maybe not massive enough, um, that 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 war didn't was was not stopped. Uh, and climate change is the third time, and just as just as important, I think, for the world um, as as those other two. Uh, and just as important for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you a question here that's come in from Twitter, and that is, with the rise of populism around the world, can people like you create real change on global humanitarian and civic issues? How, and is one of the ways through business? Yes, I think, I mean, we, we've set up various not-for-profit organizations to um, address some of these, you know, some of these issues. So, you know, so we set up the elders with Nelson Mandela and Kofi Annan, Archbishop Tutu, and a number of wonderful ladies like Mary Robinson and so on, to go into conflict regions. We set up the, you know, the B team, which is a, a group of business leaders to wonderful people like Paul Pullman from Unilever and Mohammed Yunus and others to, you know, to get out and, you know, I mean, we were we were all there in force at the at the Paris talks, going along and. You know, seeing um, you know, seeing the Indian ministers, seeing the Chinese ministers, trying to show them that there's a business reason why they should support uh, COP21. Um, you know, so I think a group of business leaders can make a big difference in the world, um, and um, and we're trying to get you know, we're setting up a Chinese group and an Indian group and other other groups around the world who with like-minded individuals. So we only have about five minutes left, and I never like to let anyone go without asking them some rapid-fire unrelated question. Thank you. <laughs> um, are you afraid of anything? Like truly afraid of anything? Um, I think the only, the only thing I can think of to be afraid of is, um, you know, is an illness in the family. I mean, or, in a, you know, friend's illness. But um, um, otherwise, I think I can't think of anything I'd be particularly fearful of. Is there an issue you couldn't care less about? I mean, you care about a lot of stuff. But is there an issue that skitters across your desk or in your inbox and you look at it and you go, I, re I really don't care. I try not to care about Trump's first 100 days. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so there really, yeah. there really isn't anything you no, care look, about? I, no, look, I, I mean, I, 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 um, I care passionately about most things, and some a hell of a lot more than, than others. And you know, I'm a I'm a good listener. I mean, I just love learning all the time. I, mean, I left school at 15, so I spent the rest of my life getting the sort of university education I I, I never had from um, meeting fascinating people and listening and learning and, and then trying to do something about things. So um, you're going to throw a dinner party for just with five other people, you and five other people. Uh, from history, who would the five be, and none of them can be alive right now? Who are the five people you would love to have around a dinner table? Um, I think it would be, the, I'll go back to the era of Sir Walter Raleigh, um, Sir Francis Drake, um, yeah, Queen Elizabeth. Um, the first one. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, the first one. Um, <laughs> Just to be the, clear. <laughs> um, no, I mean I just I love the I love the um, the great the great explorers of, of um, the, the early days and and um, yeah Peter Pan I'll throw him in. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, um, who else? Because uh, you've got one seat left. Got one seat left. Uh, um, 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 oh Jesus Christ! Yes, I'd like to. That would be an interesting. <laughs> I would have thrown in Cleopatra. Uh, uh, 
damn it. <laughs> you've, got, you've, got, you've got a much more interesting dinner dinner. Well, I mean, if you add two more chairs, right, I'll show right, yeah, up. Yeah, well, you, 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 show, you show up with Cleopatra. <laughs> all right, so one, if you go, if you go online, these, I know, this, these videos I know are true because you are in them. And it's uh, Sir Richard Branson's uh, business, or A to Z for business. And you go through every letter of the alphabet. Um, and each one ha has a letter. For X, well, no. For V, you say virginity. Why virginity? <laughs> um, well, my life has been pure. Um, I'm touched. <laughs> <laughs> I have two, two immaculately conceived children. Um, they, um, um, I'm trying to remember why he said virginity. <laughs> well, but it's um, like, but I mean, look, I mean, my, my, my first book was called Losing My Virginity, and, and, and I've spent my life trying things that I, I knew nothing about. So, I mean, like every business I've been into, I knew nothing about the airline business, I knew nothing about um, the space business, I knew nothing about. Uh, music retailing, you know, I mean, I, so I've, I've been, yeah, losing my virginity throughout my life and learning about things and testing things. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a good ride. And then X is for X-rated. And you say everyone should, everyone should be X-rated. Explain, explain that. Well, I'm sort of paraphrasing there, but that's the lesson I got from it. I can't remember what I meant. <laughs> well, I will tell you, it's, it basically goes back to the showmanship, mm -hmm. to you know, be, don't be afraid to go outside, outside the okay. bounds to to yeah. really put yourself out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I I'm known as Doctor Yes, and I just love throwing myself into into everything. I find life's a lot more fun when you do that. Um, it's got me into a lot of trouble. A big chunk of my life has been doing big adventures, um, and I was lucky to, lucky to come back from them. Um, so, um, you know, particularly the ballooning, ballooning adventures, but they were, some of them were sort of, I suppose you could say, X-rated. Well, with that, Sir Richard Branson, thank you very much for being here. Thank you all for being here. And you can see other programs and videos at WashingtonPostLive.com. Thanks, thank you.